Well, good afternoon. We find ourselves again on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> We've been studying through your Bibles. We'll probably just fall over, open to Romans chapter 8. We've been studying there in the power of the Holy Spirit. Literally, it's a chapter about life in the Spirit. We're going to begin reading at verse 18 today and through verse 30. Uh, Romans chapter 8, beginning now at verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth and pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we see not, then, we, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose." For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And may God add a special blessing to read him his word, and let's just pause for prayer before we begin our study. Father God, we come again with thanksgiving in our hearts what you've done, what you've given to us, and how you've loved us, how you've prepared a perfect plan that was for our good and your glory. We thank you for salvation, which literally we're still in the midst of, because as we're reading today, that creation and ourselves as believers and even the Holy Spirit is groaning for the full redemption, the full salvation that will be guaranteed and will come out in the future. Father, for these moments that are before us, we would ask that you would take this time, that you would bless it, bless those that are listening. We ask that you especially be with them, their families. And Father, right now, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would be our sole teacher, that he would enlighten us, that he would open the word, that we would have a further understanding, and Father, also the courage to do what we need to do that would allow us to be further conformed to the image of your Son, which ultimately has been your goal. Father, now we'll thank you for what you're doing in advance, and these times are yours as we glorify your name, and with thanksgiving we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've been traveling through uh, Romans chapter 8, um, maybe just to review for just a moment, uh, the key verse, or I would certainly say the outstanding verse that opens this whole chapter up is in verse 1, it just very clearly descri describes for us, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Uh, no condemnation. To think of that is a magnanimous 
an over-the-top revelation that we probably can't fully comprehend, not being eternally minded. But to think on that, quite honestly, there's a question that comes to us, and why is that? And at first glance, most of you would probably say, well, it's because Jesus Christ died for our sins, and we are free from those sins. He's broken uh, the sin barrier, the fellowship that was uh, broken in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve, and now that is behind us because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that is certainly part of the story, but really, quite honestly, when you say there is thou no condemnation, that is an eternal term. It is not just for a time period in which we're living right now and potentially could be different in the future. That is not at all what is here. It is a full-blown eternal word. So why can we say that? Why is there no condemnation? And that's what this chapter is all about. Uh, in that fact, in verses 2 and 3, we find that the Holy Spirit is the power behind freeing us from sin and death. That's why there's no condemnation. In verse 4, we find that he actually, the Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill the law. That's why there's no condemnation. He also, in verses 5 through 11, which we spent, uh, I think, two or three weeks on that, he transforms or changes our nature. And that's why there's no condemnation, because we're a change, we're a brand new creature, as we looked in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Uh, the fourth thing that we find, the reason why there's no condemnation, is literally in verses 12 and 13, we are empowered for victory through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us victory over sin. Now, those, those first four uh, reasons for there being no condemnation literally takes in, if you will, uh, as I think we mentioned it last week for the first time, because we've broken into a new segment. But those first four reasons are one of, there's two S's that you would think about that the Holy Spirit is responsible for, particularly in the believer's life and in the sense of no condemnation. The first one is sanctification. That's that walk that is between justification, that's where you've trusted Christ as Savior, and you are positionally without sin. You are made right. You are declared righteous by God. And between that point in time, then the Holy Spirit indwells you. He comes upon you. And now all of these things that we've talked about in those first four uh, reasons, that is the course of sanctification, that day-to-day, -day, that minute-to-minute -minute sometimes when days are difficult, that the Holy Spirit empowers and allows us to walk through life and literally to conform us to the image of His Son. Uh, turn, turn with me. Uh, maybe you have to flip your page. Uh, where does it say that now? Um, yeah, there it is. Verse 29, please go there. <clears throat> Verse 29, chapter 8. For whom, speaking of us, he did foreknow. Uh, we'll, we'll come back and work with this verse, um, if not this week, next week. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's really the whole goal of what God the Father had, was to be able to, be, to take those that were saved by Jesus Christ's sacrifice and to literally have them conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that process is the sanctification. Now, be, that's the sandwich between justification and glorification. Now, the other part of that, that is actually the final, the reality, the finality of salvation, which then would actually deal with, are we sure we're going to make it? Are we going to be able to go from justification to glorification? Again, if you're still in verse 29, watch carefully in verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, that is to set aside, and all of those in Jesus Christ are to be conformed to the image of his Son, it says in verse 29, but whom he did predestinate, those he called. And how does, how does faith come? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
uh, Romans chapter 10, I believe in verse 19. No, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10, verse 19. And then it goes on to say, but and whom he called, those he also justified. Now stop there for a moment. You see that's a past tense. It's a full uh, position. It's justified. Now, all of those that accepted Christ are in that position. If you've truly done business with God and you say, I cannot fix this sin problem. I'm a sinner. I need to repent and I need to depend fully and completely upon Jesus Christ, blood and his resurrecting power that literally will save me. That then is the point of justification. Now, watch carefully. All of those that are justified in the next sentence, it says, and whom he justified, all of those that he justified, them, not half of them, not a quarter of them, not some of them, them he also glorified. There's a guarantee there that literally you will go from justification to glorification to the eternal state. That is fabulous news. You can't get lost in the mix because you're held by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back now to... Uh, to the next section, if you will, we had four reasons. Uh, freed from sin and death enables us to fulfill the law. He transforms our nature, and he empowers us for victory over sin. Number five is, why is there no condemnation? He's confirmed our adoption. He's confirmed our adoption. We looked at verses 14 through 16 in regards to that. And that has to do with our security. If you're an adopted child of God, a co-heir with Jesus, think of that. Co-heir, in fact, take your Bibles and, and read that for a moment. You think you'll find it in verse... Uh, 16, or no, it'll be 17. Let's read the passage beginning at verse 14. 14, chapter 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, in other words, the Holy Spirit is indwelling them, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out. I think of that today even. Now, again, our world is torn up with fear. Look at those things right there. When you're an adopted son of God, or adopted daughter, if you will, I want to, it's this, actually, he calls us sons because that's the highest form of adoption. That's the highest place. There's no difference between that, between men and women. We are adopted sons of God. Co-heirs with Jesus Christ, it says next, but watch carefully. You don't have to fear anymore. It doesn't matter about the coronavirus. It doesn't matter you don't have any money. It doesn't matter that, you're, that, that there's people that are losing their lives. All of that is tied up in the security that we have of what the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing that we will ultimately be glorified because he's promised to take us from justification to a glorified state. There's nothing to fear. And he says it right there. If you're adopted sons of God. Let's keep reading. With the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit living within us really literally gives verification of that. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Watch. Heirs of God. I mean, I don't know what part of your family, if you think about that for a moment, as you would think about a, a will or a last testament of maybe a father or a grandfather, that family name carries some sense of potential wealth or I would even say the sense of a downline, a legacy. Maybe that's the word we could use. Now, did you just see that? If you're in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has placed you in the family of God of which you are a heir of God and even better. Joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. That's hard to imagine that this is all coming together. And then last week we talked about number six in your notes. Under Two of these would be under security now. We went from sanctification, the first four, to number five and number six. Those are wrapped up in security. We are guaranteed a position that God has given in the sense of a plan. Jesus has secured it. And literally the Holy Spirit is the one that secures it. 
He's, he keeps it. He seals it. We'll be talking about a seal again in a moment here. But the guarantees of our future glory. Now, last week we talked about there's three groanings. And that sounds almost a little bit wearying, but groanings. And the first one we found last week was the groaning of creation. Groaning of creation. Literally, the, 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 the creation itself is just wearied and yearning and waiting for the day when literally the redemption of man. And, and it says that in verses 18 and 19. Uh, one of the, for me, one of the best analogies is the fact that it just, even though springtime is right here now, it's pretty close, we're in the first part of April, and you can see, well, maybe not so much here yet, but in parts of the country, you can see it start to green up. And you watch the grass, and it's not very tall right now. In fact, it's just barely, I was out in a field inspecting, and uh, it just, there's a tinge of green. The cows can almost smell it. They can't taste it, they can almost smell it. And every spring, it's like that, and especially if you're in four-season country. But that's probably the clearest analogy we have to the sense of creation. It, it ramps up, and spring comes, and it greens up, and things grow, and we plant things, and trees leaved out. And all of these things go through a cycle, and then we hit a freeze. And it all dies back. And then you have winter, and we do it all over again. And it's like every year, it's just like repeating, you know what? Creation is yearning, yearning, and just longing for the fulfillment. And look at verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The whole universe is waiting for the full redemption of those, that finality of salvation. We also looked at the groaning of believers. Um, and again, uh, though we're not speaking of, if you look, uh, let's see, where do we go here? Uh, yeah, Verse 23, we'll start at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth and pain together until now. It's continuing to yearn. It's almost like looking up, it can see where it needs to go, where it wants to go. And think of that for a moment. Before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, how perfect creation was. How perfect everything was. And then literally a split second, a split second, things began to change. And all of a sudden, death was on the horizon. And all of a sudden, all of decay and all of those things began to take place. And ever since that point, creation has been yearning for it to come to an end. Verse 23, and not only they, speaking of creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. Well, wait a minute, what you say? Didn't, didn't it say we were adopted? Yes, but the fulfillment of that, to literally be with our Father, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. When you get your new body, your resurrected body, this one that wears out, this one that has problems, this one that literally is not what it, every day that goes by, it's one day older, it's one day closer to where it will not, uh, we're, we're, literally, we will die. We, we are on course for a new body. Now, what we're going to look at now today is the sense of the groaning of the Holy Spirit. So the three groanings, groaning of the creation, groaning of believers, and the groaning are of the Spirit. Think of that for a moment. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verses 26. This will be our main text today, 26 and 27 and 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, interesting uh, section there. Very interesting section. 
Uh, one of the things is, is again, in this walk, this sanctification walk that you have, is you're secure not because of how strong you are. In other words, if you're, if you're hoping to be saved and continue to the point of glorification and it's on, your, it's, it's on your back, you're the one that's holding it all together, oh, I'm so sorry for you. It won't work out. There, you, you do, you're not strong enough. You don't have enough. There's not enough of you to be able to do that. You literally, if it was up to you, you would lose what you had. But it's not. You are owned by the Spirit. You are kept by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to, well, let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture as we go down this line. Uh, again, thinking in the sense of security. Uh, John chapter 10. Let's go back to John chapter 10 and verse 28. John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus' words, and he says this, uh, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You are secure in what Jesus Christ has secured for you. Turn with me back to Hebrews. Find the book of Hebrews, chapters 9 and verses 11 and 12. Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll look at verses 11 and 12. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 11 uh, goes this way. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, and neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Oh, that's strong. That's really strong. Jesus didn't just do it for a year or two. In fact, it reminds me of the Old Testament and how that the, the, the priest, the high priest of the Israelites was a man just like any other. He was no different. He was a sinner. There was, in fact, he had to prepare. He had to get himself prepared before God before he could act on behalf of the people of Israel, before he could go into the Holy of Holies and to meet with God on behalf of the people and, and to literally be over the seat, the mercy seat, and to put the blood of atonement to, for a one-year period to be able to say, my people have atoned for their sins. But he, was, he did that every year. It was once a year. It was all the time. In fact, for himself, probably would be more often than that. But it's right here. One time, Jesus Christ, he obtained eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. My goodness. There's power. Uh, 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. <clears throat> now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God who hath also sealed us and given the earnest or the down payment of the spirit in our hearts. Think of that now. The Holy Spirit is a seal and an earnest or a down payment, something of more to come. And it's the spirit himself. Second uh, Timothy chapter two. We'll continue to look at verses that continue to build up and to focus on all of these things that are so strong in the sense of our security. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. Nevertheless, Second uh, Timothy 2, 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows who his are. They're safe in him. He understands them clearly. Now, a passage that we use uh, 
at least at this assembly a lot is Ephesians chapter 1 because I never want you guys to forget the fact of whose you are and how you've been sealed. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Let's look there closely. It follows really what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19. Now Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. In whom, Jesus Christ, you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. After you, and it's just for you that are listening today. If you've trusted Christ, something, it, it came this way. Once you heard the gospel, once you heard the good news that Jesus Christ died for you and that God loved you, you made a decision. There was a choice made. There was responsibility. Yes, it was all, all of the origin of salvation is in, is in grace. It's all God's work. There's nothing you did. There's nothing that, but in the sense that he cares for everyone, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he wants all to come to repentance. So when that responsibility is on you, when you hear the gospel, when you hear the good news, when you hear the truth, literally, you make a choice. And then it goes on to say, in whom also, after that, this is verse 13, chapter 1 of Ephesians, in whom also after that you believed, after you received the word, you believed you were sealed. After you believed, you were sealed by that Holy Spirit of promise. Promise of security, literally, which is the earnest of our inheritance. The down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Unto the praise of his glory. See, all of these things tie together. To be sealed. What do you know about a seal? He's sealing us. It's a sign of authenticity. It's the real thing. And also a sense of authority. Let's look at a passage back in the Old Testament that gives us an idea. There are a number of them to look at, but let's take our time today and look at the book of Daniel. Let's go to Daniel uh, chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And I'd like to look at, it's the, the account in regards to uh, Daniel in the lion's den, or literally the lions in Daniel's den, because it seemed they were turned into kittens by the end of this event. But nonetheless, uh, we find something that speaks to us of a seal. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6, and I, th I think this is interesting. Well, let's see. We'll just, we'll just start in verse 10. Let's just do that. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Yeah, and you can read the, the previous uh, nine verses. There was a, a plot. There was a coup, if you will, to get rid of Daniel. Daniel was, he was over, uh, he had these other political people in, in, the, in the regime, in the kingdom, and he was the one that just stood out above head and shoulders above everyone else. He was, he was a man of God. He was with integrity and accountability. All of the things that made him really someone that you could count on. And they, they came up with a plan and anyone that would pray to anyone other than the king uh, would be thrown into the lion's den. Now, I want you to see, having said that, and the decree was written, now watch verse 10. And, and this, does Daniel know about this? Yeah, watch verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he crawled into a hole and came out 30 days later. No, no, it says right here, he says, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his, knee, his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Watch, as he did before. Nothing's different. His relationship with God is still number one. His security is not in trying to obey a law. The decrees that someone wickedly has set out to try to, and by the way, they knew enough about Daniel to know that he wouldn't forsake his God. They knew that they could get him. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be good for people to know we trust God so much that you would try to set us up for us to deny God, and they knew that we wouldn't. And when we could get, they, isn't that great? That's fantastic. That's the only way. 
This is the only way. They knew that this is the only way they could do it is actually literally to try to get between Daniel and his God, knowing that he would not break that trust that he literally gave his life for. Watch. <clears throat> then these men assembled, verse 11, and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And, and they were praying. They were, now, now, they are praying P-R-E-Y. Daniel is P-R-A-Y. They're, they're right there. They're waiting. They can't wait until Daniel is literally on his knees praying to God, and then they rush in. <clears throat> verse 12. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petitions three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. That, now, by the way, this isn't just someone in the kingdom. This is the king. The king right now is trying to do everything possible to remove Daniel from a very diabolical situation. He's trying. Now, the king has as much power as anyone there, correct? Keep that in mind as we keep going. Then these men assembled under the king and said... Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree or statute which the, law, which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought, laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, that would be his authority, his authenticity, and with the signet of his lords, watch now, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. What if Daniel would have all of a sudden, he said, oh, you know what, I, gotta, I, I, I had a change of heart. I, I, wanna, I, I won't pray to God for at least 30 days. I, I mean, would you let me out of this? I, I want to get out of here. Now, those guards that probably would have been right there, what would, have, what would have they done? Well, do you really mean it? Yeah, I really mean it. Why couldn't they roll that stone away? Because it was sealed with the signet ring of the king, which the purposes could not be changed. That's exactly what it means when you have the seal of the Holy Spirit that indwells you. It cannot change the course of what God's plan is, and that is to go from, at this point, if you've trusted Christ, from justification all the way to the culmination of glorification, your ultimate salvation. It cannot be changed. And that is really great news. Just as it was the seal in that day with Daniel, which that probably was pretty permanent, felt. You know what? God did save Daniel. He did reward him for being his. But what if he hadn't? This is what's important for us even today. We don't know the future. We don't know tomorrow. Coronavirus is today. What's tomorrow? It'd probably be something else. It usually is. You know what was cool about Daniel? He didn't have to worry about the things of today or even tomorrow. His future was fixed because he believed in a God that was eternal. It's the same for us today. Let's go back to our text now in, in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, I want you to see something else. 
It will be in verse 26. It says that the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Now, just think about that for a second today. Uh, you know, our world today is probably in a place that it's never been before. I mean, every, everywhere you go, there is, it's a new twist. And you, tomorrow will be a whole new, something else that you've never thought about. Something else that will be out of the blue in you. Ha, huh, didn't see that coming. What if I would have told you to write a story about how the next 12 months would be in the world, or even in the United States, and I would have given the assignment about four months ago? How would have you done? You'd have missed it. And that's how the future is to it. It's, it's something we can't possibly comprehend. And yet, when we're in God, we are safe. Even when we don't know what to pray for, it says, look what happens here. The Spirit itself makes this intercession for us. Well, there's a lot going on there. Um, I think it's really, I have in my Bible the, the, little, the little word itself. Itself. Uh, the Spirit doesn't pass off this to someone else. He, oh, you know what? Hey, uh, angels, one, two, three, and four, and five. Six. I want you guys to pray for Ruby Valley Bible Church because they don't have a clue what they're doing. They, they, don't, they, don't know, they don't know how to pray. They don't know who to pray for. And I want you six angels to pray for that church and those people. That's your job. No, that's not what it says. It says that the Holy Spirit himself prays for us. It's himself that is praying for us individually. That's crazy to think of that. Think of the power that is on your behalf. The Spirit itself making intercession. Tell me what intercession means. What does intercession mean? Now, the interesting part is two of the Godhead, two of the Trinity, is literally involved in intercession. I, I've come up with a definition or found one or something, it says this. So intercession is to rescue someone who finds himself in trouble and he has no resources to escape. Intercession to rescue someone who finds himself in trouble and he's in, he has no resources to escape. Think of that, and it almost leads us that way. How many of you feel confident about what to pray for today? That's, there's a lot going on. Am I praying the right way? Am I praying? And what, what you know, we, as Christians, when we're followers of Jesus Christ, the one thing that should really, really impact us is we want to get our will aligned with God's will so that we want what God wants. That's what Jesus Christ did. I, I, and we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. At the very end, he said, not my will, but your will be done. This is Jesus the Son, God the Son, praying to God the Father, I want your will to be accomplished. Now, this is really cool. Let's keep going. He's making intercession for us. That's to rescue us, to deliver. It's like how I would almost call it this. Today, is there's so many people, I would say even in Madison County of Montana or in the state of Montana, it could be everywhere in the world today, are just plagued, trapped by fear of all of the unknowns, the economy, the loss of jobs, the loss of wealth, the loss of security, the loss of all of those things that are literally just in a matter of days have been usurped, taken away. And we don't have it on the board right here, but where is our security? That's something we need to ask ourselves. That's something that the Spirit will literally ask as they're looking even to the sense of there will be many men and women that probably will become saved, finding Jesus Christ because of the Spirit leading to them because you know what? Their security has been blown apart. Blown apart! All of the things they trusted in are, are leaving and 
with, without any, it's really almost evaporating, if you will. And he's making intercession for us. He's praying for us. Operation rescue, if you will. And you don't even know what to pray for. You don't know how to pray. And he is making intercession for us. Now watch. With groanings, which cannot be uttered. Now these aren't literally, again, it, you notice the first word in verse 26. What did it say? Likewise. Likewise what? It said that the creation is groaning. Now have you heard the creation groaning lately? Probably not. Unless, well, there was an, Did you guys feel an earthquake the other day? Did you? I didn't. I did not feel it. It was a 6-5 in Chalice, Idaho, I guess, so that's a pretty good rock. And that's the closest we can probably sense to the sense of groaning in the sense of a, a language that, you know, I mean, it, but you can feel it. It's all around us. You can see it just like us. When we're groaning, it's not necessarily the words that are uttered. It's the sense of our yearning to get where we want to go. I want to go to heaven. I really do. I, I want Jesus to come. I, I, in fact, since we're not dead yet, I just as soon do the rapture thing, right? But let's, let's take off. Let's get out of here. Let's go. Let's be with him forever. In the same way, this is not a language that we can understand because this is literally a language between the Trinity, if you will. This is Trinity language. It's between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's watch now. Back in verse 26, he's making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered in a language we couldn't possibly understand. I'm not talking about tongues here. I'm talking about an inter-Trinitarian language, if you will. And watch, and he that searcheth the hearts, he that, oh, let's stop there for a second. What do you mean, he that searches the hearts? That's what God does well, doesn't he? God's a heart searcher. Remember when, when Dan, I'm not Daniel, I'm sorry, David, um, Saul had blew it. King Saul, first, first king, remember, why did, the, why did the people want a king? Up until that point, uh, God was good enough, right? Everybody else, Everybody else had one. We got to have a king too. We need a king too. People wanted a king. So God said, all right, here's your king. And he said, Saul. And, and he actually he, he set Saul aside and gave them something that they really would have wanted, a guy that really looks good on TV, a guy that looked good in newspapers, a guy that took a good picture, a guy that was, he was tall, dark, and handsome, and he was just the kind of guy that would look good with a crown. And you know, he wasn't really very stalwartish. That's a bad word. He wasn't a stalwart of character, was he? And it became apparent. It really did. And little, here's little David. I don't think David was much. He was probably a little pup. And uh, he's visiting his brothers, you know, at this uh, event where the Philistines are across the valley and the, and the, and the, the Israelites on the other side of the valley, and, and they're getting closer. In fact, in fact, it tells us the Philistines are moving closer every day. And Goliath says, uh, send me out your biggest, toughest guy, and let's just fight it out. And whoever wins, then the others will be captives to, that, to, to the one that wins. Who was that guy? would have been from the Israelites. Saul, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the biggest, stoutest, meanest looking guy they had. And he wouldn't, wouldn't take it. Here comes David. And I'm still thinking he's just a puny, scrawny teenager. I still believe that. What, what do you, what do you get? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you get? He came to visit his brother. gives him some food, right? They're in the army. They're all watching this thing and it just gets closer and closer. There's fear in them. Fear and trembling. You read it. Read the passage. It's fear and trembling. And he says, well, what's going on here? Why can't you, why don't you guys go do that? Why don't you get him? You know, this is God's this is God's stuff, right? Isn't it? What, what, are you fearing? What, are you, what are you afraid of? He said, I'll do it. So they run him off to Saul. And, of course, Saul's going to give him the right stuff. You know, put on your helmet, put on your sword. You know, can you imagine? Here's this teenager. I can't carry this stuff. Just give me my stuff. God has helped me kill bears, and he's helped me kill lions, and he will help me kill this infidel. Maybe he didn't use that word, but it was the Philistine, right? So he goes and he picks up, was it three rocks or five? 
He was being careful, right? In case he lost one, he wanted enough. He didn't know what it, no, you know what he didn't know? He didn't know how this was going to work out. He just knew this, that it was God's battle and it wasn't his. Just like for you today, as crazy as this world is, it's not your battle, it's God's. When you make it God's, guess what? You're at peace and you have joy in your heart. So he picks up these five stones. I think it's five. If it's three, I apologize. And he goes out there and meets this guy. And here comes this big, bad, big, bad Goliath. And he says, ha, what's this little puny pipsqueak here? This is the best you guys got? Well, come over here and I'll take your life away. Winds her up. <laughs> I can just see this, right? Poosh, right in the forehead and bam, he goes down. It had to be that quiet, didn't it? It had to be. Jaws were dropping. Nobody could figure it out. And David said, this is the Lord's victory. And you know what? People, they loved David. They thought he was fantastic. Well, even before that day, a man by the name of Samuel went to a home not knowing who was going to be Saul's successor. But Saul had lost his way. In fact, the Holy Spirit had literally left him. And God said, I need a new king. I need one that's after my own heart now. And you remember he went to that house. And he said to David's father, whose name is failing me right now. What was his name? David's dad. Jesse, there we go. Thank you. Uh, Jesse, David's dad. And he's got it all figured out. You see, his oldest son, Eliab, looks a lot like Saul. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. He looks the part, acts the part. He's, he's the next king. And Samuel, he's, he has the same idea. That, that's got to be him. That's got to be him. And the Lord said in his spirit, he said, no, 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 no. That's not. And what did he say? What did, what did the Lord say? God looks on the heart. He's a heart searcher. He doesn't look on the outside. He looks inside. He sees what's in the heart because that's what God wants. And all these boys just walk across the, I'm going to say the stage, but it was across the front yard probably, one after another. Sam says, nope, nope, no, no, no. Have I said it six times yet? No, and no, just to be safe. And he says, is that all you have? Is that all the boys you got? Oh, oh, it couldn't be him, though. David's out. We got our little kid. He's uh, the little guy. He's out watching the sheep. What did Samuel say? Go get him. Go get him. And here, <laughs> I can imagine. <clears throat> hey, uh, David, come on in here. You know, like everybody else. What are we doing with him? And he's like, what are you guys all doing here? He wasn't, he wasn't even informed what's going on. He wasn't even invited, right? And God says to Samuel, that's the one anoint him with the oil. That's my king. Because why? Why was it? Because he looked on the heart. He looked on the heart. God is a heart searcher. Just as it says, actually, in verse 27, it said that he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the spirit. Now watch. Because he maketh intercession for the saints. Again, you see that word intercession? To deliver or to rescue for the saints. How? According to the will of God. Can you think of anyone better to pray for you when you don't know how to pray than the Holy Spirit that lives within you? Because the Holy Spirit will always, 100% of the time, pray in the will of God. If we were to ask ourselves, how, what percentage of the time do you pray in the will of God? 
Hmm, that's a big question. Sometimes we really don't even care. We just have a problem, and we want the problem fixed. We'd rather that that problem got fixed and asked, you know, we, we, we talk about the will of God at the very end, and may your will, and in your will, dear Jesus. That, that's what we, but in the meantime, would you please fix this problem? Fix this problem. That may not be God's will. It'll be amazing as a result of this whole thing going on in the world right now. How many men and women will come to Jesus Christ that would have no interest whatsoever if things remained the same? If everything was just ducky, just storming along, Christians will grow up, they'll become more mature, they will be conformed to the image of, the, of Jesus Christ, and there's Christians that are going to reach out and say, you know what, I've got a message. I've got, the, I've got Jesus Christ to talk. There's people now that I run across in my travels. Um, Larry, and people that don't go to church. I know they don't. I know them. I could name names and you'd know them. I said, do you, what, what are you doing for church right now? Well, I said, we've got a podcast. Where is that? Isn't that cool? God's working. He's doing things. He's, he's excited. Now, I do. I kind of, let's, this is a little bit of an interjection, but I, I think it's interesting. Let's go to Romans, uh, not Romans. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Just popped in my mind. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Even as uh, the, the, the lockdown, if you will, has taken place, um, I was thinking of these verses, Hebrews chapter 10. And there's ways communication-wise now that we can overcome some of it. But there's a sense of yearning. This is even part of being together. Uh, verse 24, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider one another to provoke, that is, to encourage unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting, that is, again, encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I'm not sure, even in this country today, I don't know how many places of which it's, it is out of bounds to literally have a large gathering of people. You know what it makes me? I, I'm yearning for the time when we can all be resounding in praise before our Father in heaven. Can you imagine that chorus? I mean, it's got to be great to praise God, just praising him from the depths of our heart, understanding who he is, to see him for who he is. Today we're here. I can't express in words the appreciation, the love, the, the, the incredibleness I have a the awesomeness of God. And that day, the, the largest group of men that I was ever, it was probably about 40,000 in a stadium. It was at a Promise Keepers event, and a, a friend of mine wanted to go. And uh, we traveled to Boise. And I, that, it was, it was, a, it was a, I'm not a big crowd guy. And I'll tell you what, just even today, I can still, the, back, the hair on the back of my neck just goes up to thinking of, of that sound of the men's voices praising God together. And that's nothing compared to what will be in heaven. And this assembling ourselves, especially in the last days, I'm going to tell you something, guys. This is not the end of what's going on right This is the beginning of what's going to happen. We talked about some of that in True Seekers, how we continue to go towards one day moving closer to the period of time in which literally will end the church age. We are blessed to be on this side of the cross, of this side of the cross. Let's go to uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. Ver Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. It's amazing that Jesus, I'm sorry, that you are provided everything that you need. Everything that you need. Watch this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul, who's in prison, is revealing this now to the church at Philippi. And he says, for I know, I love it when he says that, for I know that this shall turn my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's literally supplying everything that you need, that supply of Jesus Christ. You're never short of the Spirit. You have all that you need. 
all that you need. Now, literally, let's think of it this way. The only way that you could make it, that you, that, I'm sorry, the only way that you would not make it from justification, that's trusting Jesus Christ, now you've been de de be declared righteous before God. Jesus Christ has now been, he, he has taken your sin, he is bearing your guilt, you have received his righteousness, his holiness, and positionally you are justified. But now you've got this long walk potentially all the way across over into the, to the level of glorification, the fulfillment of salvation. What is, what is the only way that would keep you from getting from justification to glorification? What's the only thing that could happen? Is it up to you? No, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're not even your own. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been purchased. You have been redeemed. Those are all ownership terms. The only way that you could not make it from justification to glorification is the fact if Jesus Christ would not be on the throne interceding for us or the Holy Spirit would be debilitated and would be removed from indwelling you. Those are impossible things. It can't happen. And that should be the guarantee that we would say, praise God. Praise God. I want to show you one other thing yet on the sense of intercession. It's not even the, not just the Holy Spirit. Let's go to, um, to think about this a second. Uh, let's go to 1 John. Try 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and I believe it's verse 1. Yeah, there it is. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children... These things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. That's an intercessor with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In fact, we know that he's at the right hand of God. Turn, turn back a little bit further to Romans chapter 7. Turning back to the left, to Romans chapter 7. Did I say Romans? I'm so sorry. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Wherefore he, this is speaking of Jesus, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make what? Intercession for them. My, those are strong things for the days in which we find ourselves living. Jesus Christ, God's Son, and God the Holy Spirit are both interceding for us. God is a heart seeker, searcher, and he is a listener as well. As the Holy Spirit is groaning on your behalf, and I, maybe I would even say this, praying. Literally, the Holy Spirit is praying on your behalf in the will of the Father exactly what's best for you. In fact, that's the verse that comes next. That's why it has so much power is after you set it up as the Holy Spirit working and praying for you. He's always praying according to the will of God. Let's look at verse 28 now. Let's, let's begin, let's, let's take verse 26, 27, the things that we've learned and, and underlined, and let's walk ourselves into verse 28. I've seen Romans 8, 28 used just by itself all over the place, but it makes it stronger when you place it in context. Uh, verse 26, Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That is so bold, so big. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself, that he's doing the work, maketh intercession for us, with groanings, praying, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints. How? According to the will of God. And because of that, we know, verse 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, 
to them who are the called according to his purposes. Why is that so? Because the Holy Spirit is praying on your behalf because he indwells you and he has guaranteed with full blow and security that he is carrying, taking, leading, guiding, empowering from, sanct from justification, that sanctification process, all the way to glorification and it's a secure phase. Cannot be thwarted. Cannot be. Not going to say you can't stumble. Absolutely not. But he's there and has paid, Jesus Christ has paid for all of it. All things work together for the good because of the intercessory work of the Holy Spirit. Again, you can see that this is a verse that no one, literally, usually at least, will give a sense of significance and a sense of thanksgiving and a sense of really uttering that the Spirit is behind. Verse 28 of chapter 8 of Romans. The reason that all things work together for the good of those that love God is because the Holy Spirit is our intercessor. The Holy Spirit is literally guiding and leading and directing us. And he is praying for us when we don't even know what to pray for. How do we, what is it, I don't want to, say, I want to be careful how I say this. The Holy Spirit doesn't need any more power. But how does power come to us having the Spirit living within us? What can we do that literally allows us to even yield to be more effective for the Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to intercess for us so that we're more available, if you will. We're, we're more yearning to see where he's at. We, we're not on our own game. We're looking for God's will, and he's, he's guiding and directing us. Let me, let me uh, I was reading a little bit on this week on the, how the immune system responds to viruses. And a virus, as we talked about sometime, and I, I like to think of this now, for instance, the, the greatest virus that, that, that mankind will ever encounter was the one that was in the Garden of Eden all of those years ago. It was the one that Adam and Eve encountered. It was the sin virus. As they were introduced to it, a virus needs a host. It cannot replicate by itself. It has DNA or RNA, depending on the virus, and it has different forms. It sounds a lot like temptation, doesn't it? That comes in a different form. And it looks good. In fact... This, this virus, this thing that doesn't have any machinery to, to replicate itself, it's surrounded in a protein. And the protein looks good to a living cell, and it approaches the living cell, and it has receptors. And a lot of times, this lock on and either will in, go, completely go inside the cell, or it will take its material and inject it into the cell. And all of a sudden, poof, now that living cell becomes has taken, been taken control by that virus. Now that virus is being replicated, and there's more viruses, little viruses that are more and more and more and more, and you know, it gets to the level it actually bursts, and it goes and infiltrates the entire system, and the same process starts to go over. Now, from the body's immune system, once this virus is inside the living cell, it really doesn't know what's inside the cell. It doesn't know what's there. In fact, there's, there's, there's roamers, if you will. It's kind of like the policeman of the immune system. And this, is, this probably isn't what scientists or virologists would probably be using for terms, but for me it works. And here you have this, these immune system policemen that are running around looking for infection. They're looking for something that's in the wrong place at the wrong time, at the right time even. And they're just cruising by the cells. And, most of the, and if it wasn't for something that was there, it's called MHC. What it is is it actually, that living cell has a way of communicating what's inside 
and it's called MHC, and it just puts out their proteins, or parts of particles of proteins, that it lists what's inside the cell. And that T cell, let's call that, that's the, that's the policeman. He's running around, and he's looking for infection. He's looking for something that's inhabiting someplace it shouldn't be. And that T cell sees that, uh-oh, whoa, there's, something's wrong there. There's an inhabitant, there's a, what's right, an enemy that's inside that cell. And he knows, that T cell, I don't know if it's a he or she, but anyway, as he starts to look, the receptors line up, they can tell there's an invader. And then they shoot off, literally ammunition, to kill that cell because it's been infected. That T cell's job is to make sure that it acts on behalf of the whole body. It wants it to be healthy. It is looking to make the presence of the immune system to be stronger. Now, there's also sometimes, get this, imagine this, some of those viruses are so diabolical that they won't literally allow the living cell to put out the MHCs so that the inside understanding of that is not known to the T cells going by. But there's another cell that comes from the immune system. It's called an NK, natural killer. That's what it literally means, a natural killer cell. And it comes along and it's kind of like running screen behind the T cells. And when it sees not enough information, because the, 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 um, the virus can actually restrain from having anything exposed to what's inside the cell. And the NKs come by and say, uh-oh, look at that. Nothing is being reported. That's a problem because we know our cells would be telling us what's going on. That means that it's been taken hostage and they kill that cell. Antibodies are a whole other thing that the immune system and sometimes are triggered by vaccines. Antibodies are those, those little particles that literally can ensnare and capture and engulf tox, uh, not to, um, help me, viruses and kill them that way. And the more that they see them, and they can identify viruses that sometimes the other cells can't identify. That's why when, for instance, when you get a common cold, that virus, your body becomes, oh, I, I know that one, I know that one. And see, that's why the coronavirus today is so sinister. Our, our antibodies don't know what that's about. They've never seen it before. Huh, I wonder what that is. And that's why it just goes crazy. And you know the ones that are the most suspect, suspect are the ones with an immuno... Uh, suppressed immune system. In other words, they fought things for so long and so long and so long and so long. There's not enough T cells, there's not enough NKs, and there are no antibodies. And that's why we fall prey to it. As I was thinking about that and I was reading about that, I'm thinking that's exactly what happens to us as Christians as we're going from the beginning of our sanctification walk, we've been justified and we're walking through life is the fact that sometimes we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to use those things to allow our immune system. Because, quite honestly, the best thing you can do for yourselves in any type of virus, any type of disease, is eat right, eat healthy, so that your immune system is strong. Is strong. And your sin virus, that sin virus that has come within us, the best way is for the immune system of the Holy Spirit as we take in volumes of the Word of God. And we start to wrecking, oh no, whoa, look at that. That's a problem area for discretion, for discernment, for things of wisdom. All of those come when we're engulfing with the Word of God. Holy Spirit points it out. And, you know, like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Let's read that one. That is exactly when, for instance, there's the sin toxin or virus that comes upon us. 
that God has promised to protect us. Immune system. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's look at verse 13. It's one I'm sure that, I think I'm right. Where am I at here? Whoops, wrong Bible. Let me try this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. You know, sometimes you look at your Bible so often and you know exactly what it looks like when you get there. That is cool. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says this. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That's the word of God and the Holy Spirit using it to literally identify that sin virus where it comes in, where it comes into your life. And he can ward it off. He can bring you what you need to move on. As we keep pressing on, I mean, literally, that's what, we, that's what we're to do. Day by day by day, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously, and thanking the Holy Spirit for giving us the strength we need to carry on. Now, one of the things, uh, let's turn back. I think we'll just close here today, is go to Revelation chapter 22. Go all the way back to the book. Back to the back of the book. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 3. Verse 3. Revelation 22, 3. We'll start in verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. I'm sorry, and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Let me stop for a moment. When's the last time that you saw the tree of life mentioned in the Bible? Is being present in the beginning. In the beginning. And literally, it's, you know what the Holy Spirit has been doing? is tying those chapters back together, ultimately bringing us to the point of our, eterni our eternality in the end. Let's keep going. And there was no more curse. That means there's no more sin. No more darkness. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. I think of that, to see his face, to see God's face. Wow! That's a day I am yearning to have. To literally be face to face with my Savior. I don't know what kind of emotions. I, I just can't even imagine it because as he, as he would, as, I can't, you know, I, I, it's just an imagination. But to think as he approaches me. I mean, I would, I would fall at his feet in humility and tears must, but there's no tears here now. See, we're past that because the curse is gone. Think of that. It's all gone. It's all gone. But he's going to wear those nail prints in his hands and that spear piercing in his side. Why? It's what it cost him to get us. None of that's there. None of that is there. All of the things that he paid for are gone ultimately forever. And there shall be no night there, verse 5. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And I'm here to say that as, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, that day is yours. That day, moving from justification, when you trusted Christ as Savior, I don't know in what situation that may have been, you were guaranteed to get to that point. Now, there's also those that may be hearing my voice that have never trusted Christ. And what I've been talking about today from the Word of God then is not yours. The Holy Spirit does not indwell you. 
But right now, he may be asking you questions. Because the Holy Spirit is very vital in the sense of bringing and expressing and addressing the gospel. The message of good news, the fact that you're a sinner, which isn't good news, but Jesus Christ died for you. He's done all the work, but you're still a sinner. And until you repent of that sin and you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I repent. I trust in you. I give everything that I am to you. And literally, at that moment, things change. You humbling yourself before a God that today, those questions that the Spirit may be asking you are, where is your security? What do you really trust in? What are you living for? Why is there life? Why, for instance, if you think about the complexities and the intricacies of life, as I just laid out for just a few moments there, the immune system within ourselves, to think of the intricacies of how God put these things in to fight off infection and disease. Amazing. There's a God. There's a God that we're responsible to. And literally, if you will bow your heart, because he's a heart searcher, but he's a listener. He's listening to you today. He's 24-7. If you want to trust Christ in these moments right now, you can literally, in the quietness of your heart, bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, accept me as a sinner. I trust that Jesus paid the price for me. He has taken my sin curse. He has taken all of my penalty. And in return, the scripture says that you've replaced that with his righteousness. With his holiness, and now I am justified. I am declared not guilty by a God that is eternal. And if you've prayed that prayer, then the Holy Spirit has just indwelt you. And all of the things that we find in Romans chapter 8, the fact that there is no distancing now from you from this day to your eternal home, nothing can separate you from that because you are God's property. And that's why, as Jesus said multiple times in all of his walking, especially we have recorded for us in the Gospels, he probably said this more than any other. I can't say it with, with complete veracity, but he always seemed to say, fear not, fear not. Don't be afraid, fear not, don't be afraid. And when you're in Jesus Christ, there is nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear. Let's continue to press on, and may God be praised. May he be glorified as we lift his name on high. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Father, we're finding more and more there's so much work that the Holy Spirit is doing, even as I just thought of right now, as Jesus Christ in John chapter 17 is talking about the fact in verses 11 and 12 that he's leaving. He is going to be leaving, and he's had these disciples. He's had these that he's kept that have been precious to him, and he's literally saying, may the Holy Spirit come. May the Comforter take care of them. I'm leaving them in his hands because there was... I. I treated them as my own. I held them close. I would, they were in secure position with me, but now as I go, may the Comforter take care of them. And Father, you did that. The Comforter is among us. He is here. And we are safe and secure because of what He continues to accomplish. And Father, may we yield and be filled with the Spirit moment by moment and day by day, allowing Him to work in us the transformation that comes from his power. Father, we'll thank you for what you're going to be doing this week. We pray for our country. We pray for our leadership. We pray for those, Father, that are making decisions that have huge consequences. We pray for our nation as well to turn their eyes upon a God that is truly eternal. Father, you are sovereign. 
You are mighty. You are awesome. We pray for our nation to return to you. We pray for our world, Father, that is full of fear and doubt, a future that looks uncertain. And may we rest in you. Thank you for what you're going to accomplish. We are safe in Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your plan of salvation. We lift your name on high. We praise you, asking you to bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.